0: From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss.
1: Life changes for everybody. How you view it in your own mind is often the fault of being human and having big egos.
0: Today on episode 28 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with David Holland. Like many professionals, David's career path as an attorney had both steady trajectories and some unexpected twists and turns. In this episode, David shares some of the strategies that were particularly effective to build his own practice. If you're trying to build your own business after a late career job loss and want to make more money faster with fewer mistakes along the way, sign up for a complimentary Going Solo action planning session now. Go to goingsoloplan.com. That's goingsoloplan.com. Now, let's welcome David Holland. David is a litigation attorney in Manhattan. His experiences in viewing the criminal justice system from nearly every perspective led him to advocacy to legalize marijuana. David is the executive and legal director of Empire State National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws and a founder of the New York City Cannabis Industry Association. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity to speak with you today. Oh, my pleasure. So David, as you know, this show is about building your own business following a late career job loss. And I know you've had a lot of transitions in your own professional and business life. And I wondered if we could start off by talking about how one or more of the transitions that you've made involved building your own business, particularly when you were going from an employment situation.
1: Sure. You know, and let me just say that while things sometimes look a little bit dire during the course of transition, you know, I still believe I'm one of the luckiest guys there is because I have always managed to find my passion even in recesses of the job world that I didn't really explore previously. So I had started out as a young associate in a very uh, preeminent criminal defense law firm and that was wonderful. And over the course of time, I then moved on from there to the district attorney's office. And ultimately in 2004, I was interviewed by and took a an associate position with a guy named Michael Kennedy, who in the, in the criminal defense world was one of the giants of the bar and was also one of the most outspoken critics and supporters of marijuana legalization. And he was the original and only counsel um, until 2015, for High Times Magazine. And so I worked under him and became of counsel to the magazine for all that time. And I worked with Michael. And in 2008, I went off payroll and became of counsel to him and really handled every case that he and I were working on together. We had just uh, fantastic fun together. And I was held on to the position for a long time. And he believed that I would take over and even made an announcement that I would take over his position as general counsel. Uh, In 2014, we had that discussion, but the marijuana world as a whole was starting to change and become very corporatized and not having the same corporate background as some other people that potentially could take over the position. I was no longer really in the general counsel succession position and moved on. Michael sadly died in 2015, and I uh, moved on from there but continued my advocacy and my relationships in the world with both uh, the magazine and other things. But uh, despite that tragic letdown of losing Michael, who was an instrumental part of my life, and and not succeeding immediately to the position of general counsel with High Times, I nonetheless have found that it's been a very bright future for me and one that I'm very gratified still being able to be part of.
0: So what I'm hearing, David, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you were on a particular track for for a long time. It sounds like more than like maybe 10 years or so.
1: I was. I was because I just thoroughly enjoyed working with Michael and he did with me. And, you know, we were fighting for a cause that at the time that I started in 2004, you know, didn't see foreseeable that we'd be now with 33 states that have some form of legalized marijuana in it. It was just inconceivable at the time we started together. And he and I, you know, joined hand in hand in the battle to try to bring about that change. And uh, we can take great pride that when, to some extent, we had a little bit of a say in how that all went, because High Times was the first and foremost authority on all matters of cannabis legalization and, uh, and things that were happening within the field of marijuana.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, at at the outset that things sometimes look dire during the course of a transition. Following following 2014 and the fact that you were not going to be able to move up in the way that you had thought you were going to, were there things about that transition following that that were particularly challenging?
1: Well, the, the first challenge was, I think, the disappointment. Not so much that things were not going to go as we originally conceived, because in part it was things were happening so quickly within the field of cannabis legalization. Um, and I think that this is a unique field that's unlike other uh, employment areas. So it was hard to project where this whole thing would go. and certainly, there was um to some degree, I was disappointed, and I think it was more just because it changed the nature of the relationship I had with Michael, who at that time, we didn't know was ill, who sadly came on to a very quick and sudden end with a terminal illness. So there was a disappointment that there was a feeling of loss, certainly that it, while not dire, it was a change of relationship, you know, that the uh, the nature of somebody that you work with, with uh, for many years all of a sudden is gone. Right. And where do you go? Where are your resources? Where is that that colleague that you always counted on to counsel with? You know, you learn to adapt, but certainly like i said disappointment was only so much i saw lots of future opportunity but it was a it was an adjustment period for sure and and i think one that we all go through when when things circumstances change that are beyond your control
0: it also seems to me that although the cannabis industry may be somewhat unique that there are lots of other industries especially those that involve technology where there are rapid changes going on that really affect both employment opportunities, and also professional trajectories.
1: Absolutely. Um, And no doubt there are corollaries. I think that what makes the cannabis world unique is this is something that has been illegal for decades and really for a century now. So speaking out as an advocate for legalization, we were sort of the outsiders and we represented and were part of the movement that also had High Times Magazine, which was the outlaw magazine. And we were watching a social revolution take place, which was now all of a sudden it's starting to legalize. So you're starting to achieve your mission and figuring out where you fit into that new generation where there has been a a shift in the social landscape. That was what was a little bit different because not everybody foresaw that that day would actually come where legalization would come about. And I think we are now about 18 months away from seeing that happen on a national level. So with that, there are, you know, you have to reconnoiter where you think you're going, not only in your career path, but when you rep- when you have a client like high times, they were also figuring out what's the future for them because they were no longer going to be just an outlaw magazine. They were now going to be part of a legalized and, and very large business. So everybody was going through a little bit of reassessment of their identities. And that was that was what made this a little bit different than the tech boom. Yeah, is tech boom has always been part of the legal world. Cannabis has not and still has its own legal issues attended to it. So that's why it was uh, a little bit different for us.
0: So when you did your own reassessment, what ended up happening? What what was the next step for you?
1: Well, I you know, I had lots of opportunity over the years of being in the cannabis related field to stay connected to it but i also you know i love litigation and i started to contact old attorneys that i had worked with and developed my networks again saying look you know i'm refiguring where i want to go at this point in my life um, i'd love to start working with you again and i went all the way back and re- reestablished strong contacts with the very first lawyer i worked for and i found that over the years people you know you can fall out of sight out of mind and that, uh, that happened to me for a while because i had been so involved in other areas of my practice but you know fundamentally people's opinions of you never change so those that loved working with you will still love working with you and those that you had you know challenging relationships with sometimes they change with age and a better appreciation of where you've gone but there's a vast network that you don't realize exists out there and you just have to have the willingness and the courage to go and encounter it and let people know, look, I'm in the middle of change, and I'd love your help to keep building.
0: That's a really important point. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard from guests on this show, as well as my other show, Smashing the Plateau, that these relationships that we have, especially the long-term ones, are so valuable and how helpful it can be to reach out to people
1: well, and, and it's amazing because I've been practicing probably more than 25 years now, and I have great relationships with my clients who send me cases and so forth. But the vast majority of work that I do these days are other attorneys who ask me to come in and help them out on something or feel that that's not what they can handle but they trust my guidance and judgment to help either guide them or to take the case over for them. And I've found that those relationships are invaluable and they are lifelong because it's hard to find somebody you trust that you can say, I'm not sure, you know, the best way to proceed with this matter. Can you help me? And I've found that while at first it was a humbling experience for me to also say that, I'm so glad that I did because it has changed my entire practice. Is now really networking with a whole group of attorneys on a whole group of issues, that to me is exciting. It's collaborative. It's what I miss about not having Michael Kennedy in my life was people to bounce even the craziest of ideas off of. Because it's usually only when you make the gamble on the crazy do you actually see the payoff to the norm, and that's what I had missed most. And so it took me a long time to to find a replacement for that because I th- that was just the nature of what Michael and I had, and I'm I'm very dearly loved him and miss him.
0: David, let's talk a little bit about that humbling experience of reaching out to folks, especially those that you may not
1: have asked for help before. What was it like at first? Well, I think that I might have had a wrongful sense of ego in the sense of thinking that people would find me somehow not making it or not successful just by reaching out and saying, I'm in transition right now. Things are going in a little bit different direction than I had projected the last time we spoke. And I realized that when you start to call upon others, you will find that they too have had it. It can be anything from it didn't work out with an employer they were with, to they're in the middle of a divorce, to they had children and somebody had to do a career change. Life changes for everybody. How you view it in your own mind is often the fault of being human and having big egos. Because other people adapt to it pretty quickly and you'll find that they are a great resource of receptiveness to understanding what went wrong or what, not necessarily something went wrong, but things are just going in a new direction. And um, and people want to help. People genuinely want to be part of your success because your success reflects on them and your success may lead to opportunities to provide them with a um, additional you know, guidance or opportunity as well.
0: But how long did it take you from the time when you realized you needed to make some kind of transition until you felt like you had reached some level of stability in your new business life?
1: Well, it took a couple of years, but part of that was requiring me to make a decision about what did I want my practice to be, whether it was just litigation, whether it was just cannabis, which um, some people have left law to just go into cannabis law, or did I still want to try to have a, a combination of both? Because on the East Coast, the cannabis industry, because of certain states have not legalized yet, including New York State, you know we don't have the actual business here as much as we have the theoretical plans for trying to establish what that marketplace will look like. And that's what my mission is with the New York City Cannabis Industry Association, as well as the Hudson Valley Cannabis Industry Association that I also co-founded. So for me, it was finding the right balance of the opportunities to still work with all the people that were in the litigation world, that doing criminal defense work, to doing, oh, I I've, I've do landlord-tenant, I do personal planning for certain families. So it's finding that right balance and, and realizing that you don't have to be all or nothing in any one field. Um, and it took me a very long time. And I will say until recently to really find a comfortable balance because I see it paying off. Not only in terms of uh, the financial prospects of just being able to, you know, cover the monthly nut and so forth, but in the personal satisfaction level as well, because I am able to really feel comfortable in a wide variety of groups that still look to me to be, you know, a colleague and a support and a collaborator with them, and that's a that's a wonderful payoff, even if the the business never comes. And it's that comfort level within ourselves that I think that is the most important piece of capital you could own. And it's taken me a long time to come to that realization.
0: Is there any advice that you might offer your younger self that might have accelerated the process to find this balance in terms of personal satisfaction, professional growth, and business success?
1: Uh, Certainly one of the things would be You know, never stop networking and never stop maintaining the old networks that you have. And I learned a lot of that from my wife, who 30 years later is still in contact with people that she trained under her or people that uh, trained her, and she still works with them regularly. And I think that that's the most important thing is don't, you know, you have to set aside time for people to either build new business or reestablish connections to old business because that's where, that's part of what defines you as you. And um, is your history and your future. And they're all tied together. And so for me, my younger self, I would have been better about not just blowing off things. And I've I've discovered that now is not to, somebody says, let's get together for coffee, take them up on it, because you never know where it's going to lead. And missing that opportunity can be a gigantic loss in a grander scheme of things.
0: Yeah, so let's actually talk a little bit more about what it sounds like you've developed some kind of system for peer support with other attorneys. How, how formal is it? How do you go about doing it? Any advice for other people that are looking to develop the kind of relationships that you have developed that work both in terms of mutual mutual benefit in terms of helping one another and also that they they also help all of you build your own practices?
1: Well, you know, it's nothing as a formal plan or scheme, if you will. But, you know, I guess what I do is just kind of call people up, say, how's it going? And saying, you know, doesn't it suck when this happens? Or don't you hate it when, you know, you've spent years working on something and all of a sudden a new piece of information comes to, to light that you didn't know about before and how could we have planned for this? And when you let people talk about what are their angst and their anxieties about what they're doing, and you'll find that people do like to talk about themselves when they're comfortable, it allows the conversation to go in a wide variety of ways that once you have that comfort zone with people, they're comfortable saying things like, particularly in the attorney world, you know, that they're not feeling up to the challenge or that they don't know as much as they should about something and they don't want to necessarily be publicly admit that or to a prospective client. And uh, it allows people to have a a greater resource because they look to you as the person who does have the experience doing it. So the most important investment you can take in a relationship, I think, is just to actually check how the person is, not what you can get out of it, because the rest of it really flows from there.
0: Right. And how systematic are you in connecting with with your colleagues?
1: Well, I don't do it on a scheduled type thing. When you say systematic, but you know, when I think of somebody, I drop an email or I drop a phone call from time to time. You know, just something to let them know that I'm out there and thinking about them. And and it's funny. I was just thinking of you the other day. Didn't know in town. Let's get together. Something like that. That that reestablishes and reconnects. And those are essential to not only you know business prospects, but to just to us as human beings as friends. Your your business colleagues don't necessarily have to be your best friends, but they are your friends of sorts and you got to treat them like that. And when you do that, they will do it for you. And, you know, it just becomes a more self-satisfying, even if it's not necessarily a more lucrative relationship.
0: That makes perfect sense. So, David, today, who's your ideal client?
1: Well, you know, I take a wide variety of cases, so I do love, you know, if I had to put them all together, I really love to fight constitutional issues, and they usually come up in a criminal context. Uh, I'll just give you an example of what is a fun one for me, which is I just brought a case against the state of New York and its Department of Corrections and probation offices regarding people that are on probation, that have a criminal conviction, they're on probation, who are also qualified medical marijuana patients. Who are being denied their access to that medicine based on a claim by corrections that 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 violates uh, that medical marijuana violates federal law, even though New York State has mandated that nobody can be discriminated for using it. For me, the real passion of that is that I was contacted by a nurse practitioner who was working with a number of people that suffered extreme PTSD and other chronic positions, all which are qualifying conditions under the New York's Compassionate Care Act, which is our medical marijuana law, and she was really concerned that certain people you know were likely to to become opioid addicts were likely to have if they returned to opioid-based therapies, were likely to engage in lives of crime, going back to be able to support their habits and that things that the, the these are all going up in the upstate area. These were real concerns to her. And so she was very adamant having seen and having been the person that had recommended it as a qualified professional under the program, seeing real, you know, palpable response that these patients had to medical marijuana versus other interventions from the pharmaceutical side. And so I feel very passionately that if something works, and, and I've spoken to these clients who have said how life-altering it has been for them, and particularly not to have the concerns of addiction issues, which some of them have, oh, it's a life-changing thing for them. And so for me to be able to speak on a constitutional level about something that I think is a real debate, even if some people feel that, uh, that you know criminal convicts are not worthy of such recognition, well, we beg to differ. And, uh, and for me, it's that level of discourse that I find so exciting. And uh, it's on a legal level, it's on a personal level, it's on a moral level. That's the ideal client for me in almost any context. I can see how rewarding it is. Well, thank you. And I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to tell you about it.
0: <laughs> David, if someone wants to go deeper with anything that you've shared today or get in touch with you, what's the best way?
1: Probably email initially is best just because my phone is ringing a lot with a particular project I'm working on right now, so I often let that go to voicemail, and I don't always get back to them. So, the best would be to email me at dch. That's David Clifford Holland. So, dch at holland h o l l a n d litigation dot com.
0: Sounds great. Well, David, it's been a pleasure to have you today on Going Solo. Um, hearing lots about your own story, sharing some insights that I think are very valuable to anybody who's making a professional transition, particularly when they're going from employment to self-employment or entrepreneurship. My guest today has been attorney David Holland. Thank you again, David, for joining us.
1: Thank you for this opportunity.
0: When you visit the Going Solo website at smashingtheplateau.com, slash going solo, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today we learned how to use your network to build a business that will satisfy you personally while providing the income you need and much more. If you are trying to build your own business after a late career job loss and want to make more money faster with fewer mistakes along the way, Sign up for a complimentary Going Solo action planning session now. Go to goingsoloplan.com. That's goingsoloplan.com. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.